This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I am joined, as always, by the irrepressible George Smith. George, how are you doing? I'm not bad, Elliot. How's things with yourself? Yes, good, thank you. Very excited to do this pod um, on Sunday morning, even if we are doing it and recording earlier than usual. I didn't have a game this weekend with Grimsby's match at Southend on Friday night getting called off, so got to watch all the, the scores rolling on, on Soccer Saturday whilst working. Took me back to uh, to when I was, don't know, 15, when you you know, you just sit on a Saturday and watch all the scores come in if you weren't at a game. Uh, and it was great and so much good championship stuff. It's a proper blockbuster weekend we've got to break down for you. And Perhaps my favourite weekend of the season so far in terms of the just the narratives and the stories that we're going to break down in the next hour or so. So feeling very energised this morning for this pod. You're really feeling this one, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I'm up for it. I'm up it's for it. It's proper hyped. Yeah, I'm, I've, got, I've got good could, energy. For what could be described as probably the, the most coupon-busting weekend of the season so far. And that's why we love the Championship. That's what we do this podcast for. Uh, as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms, and make sure you are following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChabPod24. As I say, on today's podcast, we've got a real bumper episode for you where we'll be breaking down all the major talking points from this weekend's busy action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Now, George, in terms of the running order, I could, there was about four or five games I could have started with, which in a different week would have been perfectly good in their own right but we're gonna to have to start at Deepdale and start with matters on the pitch and then of course the news that Velko Paunovic has left Reading Football Club um, after the Royals won 3-2 at Preston their first win since late November ending a 12-match winless run. Reading really are the basket case of the championship at the minute in terms of off-field drama it's like a soap opera which considering Derby County are in the same division is, is some going really if we're being honest but been another mental week um, in Berkshire. Nil-nil draw Peterborough midweek. Um, fans protesting against the team bus. Andy Yeardom coming out and speaking to the fans. It was just an absolute mental episode. And then, of course, they go away to Preston. A Preston side that have taken the second most points in the championship since Ryan Lowe was appointed. Only Huddersfield have taken more. And they were 3-0 up inside uh, inside the first half well just after the first half absolutely mental game um Lucas Joao without doubt the star man in this one for Reading we know what he can do they've really missed him through injuries this season and every once in a while just turns on this vintage vintage Lucas Joao performances that make you think he's a Premier League player in waiting but he's just made a glass and he isn't consistent enough so he's not but he on his day he is a class above a lot of championship players the way he turns Patrick Bauer who's in my eyes, a very good championship defender for the second goal. Brilliant footwork, fires into the top corner. This, of course, after he put them ahead with a with a bit more of a poached, scrappy goal. And then the the build-up, it's a lovely team goal for the third one. Swift into Zhao, the, the weight of pass from his left foot, back into Swift pass, lovely touch out his feet and bent around Daniel Everson for the third. Fantastic performance. Yes, some nervy moments at the end. With uh, Daniel Johnson and, and Cameron Archer getting a couple of goals back for Preston late on, but nonetheless, this is a fantastic result for Paunovic. And then, of course, he gets sacked. But certainly on the pitch, 
brilliant performance from Reading. One that I certainly didn't see. Broke my bet. Broke your bet. Broke my dad's bet. Um, and probably a lot more people in the yeah, and probably a lot more coupons busted across the country. Yeah, you're not kidding. I mean, who saw that coming? It really was the the definition of coupon buster. And I think that was on what was a weekend, as we say, a few shocks. I think that was definitely the standout one. But Reading, they played well. They they executed the game plan well. They took the goals well. The first one was a little bit scruffy, but they done well to craft the chance. The second one was a really really nice finish from Joao. The third one, lovely interchanging play and a smart finish from Swift. And it, it's no surprise that when Lucas Joao has come, slowly built his way back to his best, that Reading have found a way to, to get a win on the board. It's no coincidence, John Swift as well, thriving again. And for all the all the misery and all the disappointment, you've got to take some positives and think it's it's two games unbeaten now. It's it's a step in the right direction, you hope, after a, a shambolic period, shall we say, which is what it's been in. Certainly off the pitch, things are far from over in that sense. But on the pitch, I mean, the game at Peter the other night, Reading will have been disappointed with a nil-nil draw, I'm sure, considering how Peter have been going. But it's two games away from home and beaten in a few days. It's four points, three goals scored, albeit they nearly blew it with Preston rallying late on. But it's a platform now for the new man to, to build on, which is, of course, Paul Ince. It's a platform for him to start on and, and take things forward best he can. Can't get too carried away, of course, after the run they've been on, but they're certainly in a better position in terms of on the pitch and results than they were this time last week. So, fingers crossed, it's something they can build on and begin to bridge a gap on the on the bottom three because obviously Derby are coming up behind them fast. Peterborough, they look like they're dead and buried where things are going. So, Reading, for me, could be in a straight shootout with Derby to avoid the drop. So, they've got that little bit of a cushion on them at the minute. Long, long way to go, but... As I say, they're in a better spot than they were seven days ago. And of course, the fallout after the match, Velko Panovic sacked, I think it's fair to say, put out of his misery, is probably a better way of terming it. He offered his resignation a few weeks ago, which was rejected, takes four points from two games, finally gets sacked. I think Reading fans are relieved that he's gone, probably for his own sake, and they felt a change was ready in the dugout. What nobody expected was Paul Ince to, to rock up eight years after his last job in football. Um, and and take interim charge of the, the club. Now, this isn't an appointment. He's just in whilst they find a new manager. He's not in until end of season. But ultimately, he's going to have the chance to stake a claim, which I don't think anyone expected when he's not been in work for eight years. Eight years since he was last in a job. Where's that come from? Absolute madness. When you look at some of the names that could take over more in the long term or until the end of the season, Neil Warnock's the one that instantly springs to mind for me. I know we discussed this last week on the podcast. Um, Grant McCann's another name where he's someone that's worked under controversial ownerships. You know, the, the relationship between Hull City fans and the Alams, certainly not rosy. So he's worked under those sort of conditions before. There are other names as well. Lee Johnson obviously just recently sat by Sunderland. But the problems behind the scenes and the unrest is, is being caused by the ownership, the lack of clear dialogue, <clears throat> the links to agent Kaya Jorbajan which is causing a lot of upset and unrest because he's not officially on the payroll. Very similar to what Wednesday have had with Adam, Adam Alpaxau, which obviously we and you will, will understand, where he's not really on the payroll. He's more of an advisor, but he's got individual stakes in some of these players. And there's a feeling amongst Reading fans that he's been taking advantage of the club for his own personal gain. The lack of clarity from the owners as well. It's just all a bit murky and dark. And when you combine that with horrific results on the pitch, it's going to turn toxic. And it really did in midweek at Peterborough, as I say, the fans storming 
the bus trying to stop it to leave, confronting the players. And for, in fairness, not not violently either, I should say. You know, it wasn't like they started smashing the bus up, bus up. But it's scenes that are symptomatic with a club filled with unrest and filled with uncertainty and spiralling in only one direction. So there's a lot to sort out off the pitch, which one very good performance at Deepdale is not going to solve. No, you're absolutely right. They've got a hell of a lot to sort out and a hell of a lot to do. And personally, if it was me looking at it in the situation Reading are in, I think the best approach would be to draft somebody in until the end of the season on that basis initially, assess how things are, assess obviously what division they're in next season and take things from there. Personally, I think in the short term, I don't think Reading could get anybody better than Neil Warnock. I think he is the the obvious choice in this situation that they're in. I remember many years ago when obviously he went into Rotherham quite late on in the season and, and kept them afloat in the division in 15-16, I think it was. So he's got the act for it. We know what, what capabilities he's got at this level. His record speaks for itself. But in terms of then long-term moving forward, personally, I think the point is just with the way Reading are ran and things like that, that it does suggest another foreign import again. I think that's the way they're likely to go. Don't necessarily think it is the, the way they should go for what they're in need of, but it's like some of the names I'm just looking at now that are being tipped as available for the job. Gary Monk, Ita Karanka, Mick McCarthy. I just don't think they're the type that are going to go into a club like Reading. Karanka obviously dealt with a lot of troubles at Birmingham. Can't see that working out well. Monk, Surprised he's not back in work yet, but I don't think that would be the right way. So, I think in the long term, the point is do suggest another foreign import like Paunovic was and Yapstam was several years ago. But in the short term, until the end of the season, I think Neil Warnock would be the best bet. But it's going to be interesting to see what Paul Lynch does. Very, very surprised with that decision. Been out of coaching for a long time, as you've said. And when I sent you a message to inform you on Saturday, you couldn't believe it. <laughs> So it speaks volumes about what we thought initially to that one, but they've obviously seen something in it and seen a reason for it. But I mean, when you've been out of coaching for that long and you're immediately going to a club that's in the thick of a relegation battle, it really is going to test your mettle. So it's it's brave of Paul Lynch. You've got to commend him for taking it on. So it's going to be interesting to see how this one works out, but I'm not overly convinced by it. But in terms of him taking charge until they source a, a replacement, I think Neil Warnock is the obvious candidate, but initially on a basis till the end of the season, even though we know with Neil's track record, we know what he's like. He's not going to give it up yet. I won't bet against him doing in there, doing well and turning around and saying, go on then, one more job, one more, and I'll give it another go. But for me, I think, like I said, initially, short term, I think Warnock is the, the standout candidate for the situation Reading are in. I'm sure Sharon's ready to get him out of the house already. I think the advantage for whoever comes into Reading is they have got the best squad out of the bottom four. Comfortably, I'd probably have the bottom yeah. five. I would, I would put Hull probably in there as well. They've got the best team. They've got match winners. They've got Ajaria to come back at some point, who is injured, but they won't really discuss his injury. It's a little bit. That's another another example of where fans are just confused. Uh, Paunovic will talk openly about injuries to other players, but won't talk about Ajaria for some reason. Something going off there, but we're not too sure. Fulham one, Huddersfield Town two. Um, I watched this game in its entirety on on. Saturday lunchtime, which is a commodity for me as I'm usually travelling to to a stadium somewhere in the National League. But I thought Huddersfield Town were absolutely brilliant. Up to fifth now, and they remain the only unbeaten side in the Championship this calendar year. And it was a superb performance from back to front. And I've got, I want to give so much credit to Carlos Corbran because the game plan worked to a T. They sat deep. 
They used the experience and physicality of Tom Lees and, and Matty Pearson at centre-half to deal with Mitrovic. But then, the, it's one thing to sit in, but then to counter-attack in the way they did with the, the intelligence of the runs, the intelligence of the passes, with Anthony Robinson so far up on that left-hand side, as we know he loves to bomb on, using the pace of Sorba Thomas against Tim Ream, and he absolutely destroyed him time and time again, and it got Uddersfield up the pitch, so... Although they sat deep, and, and particularly in the second half when they're hanging on to a two-goal lead, this wasn't a smash-and-grab performance. This was, we're going to play in a, in a mid-to-low block. We're going to use our attacking players that have got pace and quality on the counter. We're going to press you at the right times with Lewis O'Brien and John Russell, who've got energy and legs in midfield. And they were fantastic. As I say, um, Hogg, O'Brien, and the emerging John Russell, who's, who started the last few games now, big, gangly, tall, uh, combative midfielder, come through the academy. He was excellent. I thought Harry Toffolo, after being dropped last weekend against Sheffield United, I thought he was brilliant. Fantastic tackle in the build-up to the opening goal where he dispossesses Harry Wilson. Proper challenge. And then he gets up, gets the return pass from Dwayne Holmes, fires it across. Little bit of fortune. Put a bit of poor goal for, for to concede if you're a Fulham player. Tom Kearney should do better. And then Danny Ward lashes it past Rodak, who, who probably should have done better as well. The ball kind of squirms through him. But the way Huddersfield have defended this season, Corbrand deserves so much credit because it's yes, they brought in new players in the sense of Pearson, Lees, Lee Nichols has been terrific. Turton, who started this game at Ryback, was a new signing, of course. So Toffolo's the only man that's standing. Um, but it's one thing to do, but to, to get the shape right, to get the midfield structure in front of them correct, he deserves so much credit for the way he's coached this team as well. And this was something I didn't think he could do 12 months ago. And that's partly because of the, clearly because of the players he had last season. But he's evolved clearly as a coach. Although they they play nice football and possession football, they do, they're do more streetwise, they're more smart, they're more uh, pragmatic at the right times. But they're still doing things that are interesting by using that pace on the counter-attack at the right moments. Really intelligent players, really intelligent manager. And they were a real joy to watch yesterday. For me... If they finish in the top six, they'll be the biggest overachievers in the championship, unless Derby stay up. Yeah, it's been a surreal journey, hasn't it? And I mean, let's just start with the game on, on Saturday. And I watched the majority of it. I was working at the same time and I just tried to keep an eye on it the best I could. Um, I thought they were excellent with and without the ball. It was a professional away performance. One of um, one of the Huddersfield supporters could be proud of. It was a really, really good showing. And they worked so hard. You could see the celebrations at the end as well, how much it meant to the players, to the fans, the management, the coaching staff. It was a terrific performance and one that nobody would have expected. Obviously, they went into the game, Huddersfield and Fulham, as the only two remaining unbeaten sides in, in the Championship this calendar year. And it was obviously Fulham that cracked under the pressure and Huddersfield found a way, like you say. Bit of bit of fortune for the first goal with Danny Ward capitalising on some pretty poor goalkeeping from Rodak. For me, he should have done better. But Danny Ward won't care. He's gobbling chances up for breakfast at the minute, isn't he? And all of a sudden now, Huddersfield right in the thick of it. The only the only thing they might be slightly worried about is that all the teams around them have got games in hand on them, which is. But you'd rather have points on the board, wouldn't you? Exactly. Especially when there's course, that many teams pushing for the top six as well. They're going to take points off each other, so you want exactly. the points on the board. Absolutely, you're gonna you're gonna get situations where things happen and things don't happen. It's the, it's the nature of the championship at this stage of the season, but. I always said, didn't I, with Carlos Corberan when he came in, that it was going to be a long process. And Huddersfield fans, if they wanted to get the finished article, they were going to have to be patient and wait 
and just realise that Carlos Corbran is going to need the right tools and the time to get his methods across. And I'll have to, I'll have to admit, go back to last summer when the transfer window was open, looking at the business they were concluding, I was looking at it and thinking, this is going to be another season of struggle for them. The, the recruitment has not been remotely impressive. How wrong was I? It's been absolutely outstanding. He's managed to cobble together a team of, of hard workers and not superstars. I mean, they've obviously got flashes of quality in there with Caroma and Sorba Thomas and people like that. But they just as a unit, collectively, they work so hard for each other. They've got that belief and that unity. And that's what you need. And that's what Huddersfield had, really, when they went up a few years ago. They had that belief and that character and a couple of flashes of quality. And at the time was obviously the standout and was Aaron Moy. So it is kind of a similar situation, but I think they had a better squad then than what they've got now. So it, it does make you realise just how big an achievement it is, what they're achieving. And as time goes on, we're looking at this and we're just thinking, this will be the week when it starts to unravel. This will be the week when they drop out of the top six. Is now the time when we genuinely consider Huddersfield as genuine contenders to be in this race right till the very end. They're up I there purely on merit. If you put now. a gun to my head, I, I wouldn't say they'll finish in the top no. six still at this time. But... They're absolutely contenders, there's no doubt absolutely. about it. Absolutely, no doubt about it. To go to Fulham and produce a performance like that and very nearly keep another clean sheet as well, it speaks volumes of what Carlos Corbrand's done. So, huge credit to him. They've done terrifically well. And, and looking what they've got to come next, Cardiff at home, they're going to fancy the chance of keeping that going. And here's one stat to throw in. In the whole of the EFL, so the Championship League 1, League 2, League and Cup, Huddersfield now the only remaining unbeaten side out of the 72 this calendar year. Fantastic achievement, isn't it? And I have to say there was shades of that 16-17 promotion season. I agree with you in, in the performance yesterday. I felt like that, definitely. In terms of Fulham, they didn't play badly, Fulham, at all. I think most creates they'll, they'll win more that than game. Enough to they win. created chances in that second half. The goal they did score was a little bit lucky. It'll be a superb finish from Bobby Reid, taken finish. Marco Silva thought the, the, the penalty was, was never a penalty. Basically, Silva Thomas fouled by Rodak. Initially, I thought it was a penalty. I've still not really decided because from some angles, it looks like Silva Thomas just runs into him after knocking the ball. But especially the angle sort of behind Rodak, it looks really clumsy that Rodak's just come through him. So I think for me, it's just one of these where I'm not, it's not a clear and obvious error not to become VAR. I, I'm not going to criticise the referee too much either way. I don't think it's definitely a penalty and I don't think it's definitely not a penalty. I think different angles make me think different things. So you've got to give referees the benefit of doubt on that one. Uh, he felt they should have had a penalty for handball as well in the second half. Bristol City 2, Middlesbrough 1. That man, Antoine Semenyo, that's all I've got to say. Absolutely frightening. Um, physical ability. He's just got a bit of everything. He's going to be a Premier League player because he's got so many attributes that suit the Premier League. He can play out wide, as we saw with the first goal. Bullies Marcus Tavernier um, down the, the Bristol City right. Shrugs him off. Lovely ball into the box. And it's a, a very clinical finish from Andy Vyman, as we've come to expect. He's having a brilliant season. Um, and then for the second goal, unbelievable skill. Juggles it on his thigh. Left foot strike, bottom corner. And he's got everything you would want in terms of raw attributes for a Premier League player. We want to see that consistency between now and the end of the season continue. And I think if so, I think Bristol City will struggle to keep hold of him in the summer because, as I say, he's got the physicality, he's got the pace, he's got the awareness that he can also play out wide in transition and on the counter-attack. But he can also lead the line, not in a traditional number nine way, but he's got the, the bulk that he won't get bullied by centre-halves too. More interestingly for me was the Bristol City team 
Because if you look at that lineup, there was a lot of um, you know Bristol City journalists and pages that cover Bristol City didn't have a clue how they were going to line up with the formation that was named. They ended up going three five two with Joe Williams, who of course is is a central midfielder playing at the heart of the back three, and Sam Bell, who's a striker who was actually on loan at Grimsby earlier in the season, who I saw a bit of over Christmas, who looked a decent striker, sort of a predatory six yard box kind of striker, very young, very raw. He played at right wing back, which is alien from what I saw, albeit National League to the Championship. And very, very weird. But again, more faith putting young players from Nigel Pearson. Central midfield pairing, Alex Scott and Masengo up against Johnny House and Matt Crooks and Tavernier. Didn't get bullied, stood up to the task. And that that's testament to the, their abilities and the faith equally that Nigel Pearson's put. I mean, Masengo didn't really play that often under Lee Johnson or uh, his predecessor either. And Alex Scott's someone that Pearson's completely brought into the fold. And he's played such a different variety of roles. He's played at right back. He's played right wing back. He's played as a number 10. And now as a deeper central midfielder against, you know, seasoned championship pros like uh, Tavernier, Housen, someone big and physical like Matt Crooks. And he stood up to the challenge brilliantly. Didn't get bullied. Sam Bell coming in, showing his versatility. And I think for all the flaws you can put up Bristol City defensively, and um, a lack of consistency, both home and away, I think these young players would run through a brick wall for Nigel Pearson. And that is one of those intangible qualities that we can't really measure. But it's something that definitely shouldn't go under the radar and shouldn't be appreciated. And it's a brilliant result against a very good Middlesbrough side. The challenge for them now is they haven't won back-to-back games all season. That's the challenge on Tuesday night. Yeah, it's certainly... It's, uh, it's supposedly more in Bristol City, isn't it? It's been such a bizarre season for them where there's been moments and flashes of brilliance and then moments of complete despair and misery and, and disappointment. But there are just so many things that you can analyse this Bristol City thing with. And I want to start with a couple of individuals and Semenyo. The, the way he's started this calendar year has been unbelievable. He's been absolutely outstanding. That goal he scored on Saturday was sublime. It really was. Like you said, it was all of the trademarks of a Premier League player and waiting. Ten goal contributions this calendar year already. He'd only got four in 2020, in the first half of the season up till the the end of the year. And then his partner in crime, Andreas Weiman. It's hard to believe for Bristol City's position that only Alexander Mitrovic now has more goal contributions in the Championship this season than Andy Weiman. That is unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it? 16 goals and 7 assists now this season. That has gone massively under the radar. If Bristol City were in the top six, everybody would be banging the drum about Andy Byman in the same breath that we have about Brereton Diaz and um, Chris Willock, for example, another one. Andy Byman's gone totally under the radar. But I think the thing for me with Bristol City at the minute is, obviously, more and more youngsters are beginning to be blooded into the team. And like Huddersfield, it is going to be a slow process. It's going to take time. It's never going to be easy and you're not going to get a, a quick outcome with it. But signs are showing that Nigel Pearson is beginning to get the results he wants from, from utilising this philosophy and it is beginning to work. But one thing that has come to my attention about Bristol City now is they are beginning to turn Ashton Gate into a bit of a fortress again. Four wins out of four this calendar year at home already compared to how bad they were for so long at Ashton Gate. It's just that away form now. The roles of reserve were reversed when, obviously, they were flying away from home, doing awful at home. And now the situations have completely transformed where they're brilliant at home and really poor away. But 
I think overall for the transitional period that Bristol City are in, they're ticking along all right. Like you said, the challenge now is getting back-to-back wins on the board. And that is something that they've now got to show. They've got to show them levels of consistency because you look at Bristol City's fortunes this season, it's been one win, three draws, another win, a defeat and so on. So they've got to find a way now to get this consistency and start climbing the league. They're not going to go up. They're not going to go down this season. It's just about preparing for next season for what could be a huge summer in this club's future for the biggest that we've seen for quite a few years for them. But like you say, it's it's a process. They're bringing a lot of youngsters in. But I think they're going to have to be careful now of potentially avoiding a few star players in the summer because Semenyo and Vyman are really starting to deliver the goods. And I'll tell you something, Semenyo, that lad on, on current form from what I've seen in the last six to eight weeks, he, he looks like a Premier League player in waiting. Yeah, he's got all the raw attributes that someone like a Brentford or someone would invest in, I think. Mm. Um, the thing for Bristol City is, it's, as you say, it's a process of trying to rebuild the club in a new model. You need is you need enough good days like yesterday to show that the process is worth sticking with to to make do for all the inconsistencies and the poor performances that are going to come because you're using young players. Young players are inconsistent, but they've got a higher ceiling potentially. So that that's the uh, give and take Bristol City fans are dealing with right now. And I think fifteenth place, somewhere around that mark, I think that would be a decent season for Bristol City given the context of where the club is at, the amount of money they've lost, and what they're trying to do. Middlesbrough, again, didn't play horrific in this one, but Daniel Bentley had a bit of a, a Daniel Bentley masterclass after a fair bit of time out of the team, after a bit of a disciplinary breach and the form of Max O'Leary. He came back in, the captain. Really good saves to deny Balogun and, and Connolly as well. Uh, Middlesbrough, home form we know has been so terrific at the Riverside. Away form, not quite at that same level, and that could be the only thing that potentially undoes them in terms of a top six finish. Luton Town 2, West Brom nil. Copy and paste job this for West Brom. We've said it so many times. It's five games without a goal now, but they missed so many chances. Carlin Grant, like the ball literally gets passed to him, sit 12 yards out by a Luton player. He's got the goalkeeper beat and he hits the crossbar and then misses and can't get hold of the rebound. Andy Carroll had two shots saved, 1.76 XG created overall. Steve Bruce has tried different things. He's been 4 2 3 1 in the first few games. He went back to a 3 5 2 with Carroll and Grant up front. Um, went back to the back three that they played under Ismail, a bit obviously a different style. They just can't get the ball in there. And I don't know what to even suggest because they've got really good players. They're trying different formations. Grant should have scored. Carroll probably should have put one of his chances his way as well. They've got Robinson, Dean Garner, terribly out of form, particularly Dean Garner. Robinson not hitting the goal scoring heights that we expect of him. DK still injured, won't be back till mid-March. It's if if West Brom don't finish in the top six, that will be criminal, and and it's looking likely they're down to eleventh now. And I know it's not a huge points difference, but there's so many teams jostling for those positions. I suppose that's the only good thing. West Brom know they only really need to concentrate on themselves because the teams in and around them, if they can string five or six wins together, ultimately they'll probably finish in the top six because teams will naturally take points off each other. But they don't they don't look capable of scoring a goal. Never mind winning a match at the moment. Credit to Luton because they did hang in, and I don't. That's not a representation of the whole ninety minutes. But West Brom definitely had the best of the chances in that first half. Particularly, they dug in, they stayed at nil nil, and then second half they were much better. Uh, they were the better team, probably. In fact, created chances of their own. Cameron Drone hit the post, of course, so that was still in the first half, and then he took advantage of some poor defending to put them one nil up. And once Luton went one nil up, 
West Brom's head sunk because they didn't have the belief that they could get back into it because of the lack of goals. Brilliant strike from Alan Campbell then after that in order to uh, double the lead. He's been a fantastic pickup in the summer. And a stat that you you reeled out on the podcast Twitter yesterday, on New Year's Day, Luton were 12 points behind West Brom. Now they sit two points in front of them and they're only two points off the top six. So they will fancy their chances of gate crashing the top six. They certainly will. I mean, Luton have very, very quietly gone about their business, I think, quite unassumingly and under the radar. And I think they're another one that are in with an outside chance of sneaking into this battle. They're very, very good at what they do. At times, they're not flamboyant and exciting to watch, but they find a way to win. I mean, Particularly you home. think you think about this year already, they've beaten Bournemouth, they've beaten West Brom, they took a point off Blackburn, they won at Swansea. They've had some really, really good results. I think they've only lost once this calendar, uh, twice, I think, might once or twice, and obviously they lost at Sheffield United. I'm not sure if there's one more in there. They're still in the FA Cup as well. They're, they're really, really flying. And, and Nathan Jones, week. that was it. I knew there was another one in there, that 3-0 defeat, wasn't it? But Nathan Jones, I mean, he's done a terrific job. And it's like what he said in his interview after the game on Saturday. We're looting and we do it our way. We we may be looting. We're not a Bournemouth. We're not a Fulham. But we know how to win games. And they're doing exactly that. Um, two well-worked goals. Campbell's a terrific strike again. And he's really coming on leap and leaps and bounds. He's had a terrific start to this, this calendar year. Um so it's just so many good things to write about Luton at the minute. And like you said, that home form is really, really propelling them up the table, isn't it? And they've got to be in with a chance. Eighth in the table now, knocking on the door. Maybe considered outsiders in this battle, but they're in they're in the mix. That's it. The, the the stats say it. The table shows it. They're in the mix and deservedly so. So for myself and you as a neutrals, this playoff battle is going to be a mesmerizing watch over the next two or three months. It's going to be absolutely terrific. It really is. And I would not like to predict which four are going to be in there come the end. As for West Brom, I mean, when things aren't going your way, things really aren't going your way. They should have scored yesterday. No doubt about it. They should have at least got themselves one goal. I think if they score first, they might win the game as well. Because I think the confidence then would have come back and they could have got a second. Because they were on top in that first half and they They were were having all the chances. They were playing well in the first half. That's the thing. I watched the game against Blackburn last Monday evening and for the majority of it, West Brom were the better side. They were posing the greater threat. But when the, your look's out, your luck is out. But the stats are just horrific into the goals. They've scored six goals now in their last 15 league games. No one's... Six goals in that, 15 games? Six goals in Jesus 15. Christ. Didn't realize that, that is that bad. Obviously, five without. Yeah, and that dates all the way back to the 20th of November. So exactly three months. Six goals in three months. Two goals a month. And don't forget, three of them were in a 10-minute burst against Peterborough. Yikes. It's bad, isn't it? And let's not forget, five without. Six of the last seven, they've failed to score. It really is bad. And obviously, the away form has been horrific. They've not won away since the 4th of December. They haven't scored away from home. Looking at it on what I'm looking at now, they've not scored an away goal since the 4th of December. That was the last time they scored away from home. I'm actually not far off three months. I'm actually just looking at it now. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I think they've only scored in one of their last 10 away games. Yikes. That is bad, isn't it? And Steve Bruce, I mean, I don't know if you've seen the quotes. He came out and 
made it as plain as simple. He says, I'm not going to bullshit anybody. I know it's not good enough. I know we've got to change it around. So he obviously still believes. Obviously, he's got to believe it's his job. He's got to motivate them. But like you said, for the talent that they've got, this season is quickly transpiring into a, an absolute disaster. Because at the start of the season, they were looking so good. They were scoring goals for fun. They were putting teams to bed. And all of a sudden now, it's just completely transpired into a complete mess. So they've got to find a way to get back on track literally as soon as they can. Otherwise, this season risks being an absolute disaster. For the players they've got, it it would, in my opinion, be one of the biggest underachievements we've seen in the Championship in recent years. And it doesn't get much easier. Next up, Middlesbrough away from home. Yeah, I would agree with you, George, on that front, definitely. And no team has underperformed their XG as much as West Brom this season. It's been their Achilles heel all campaign. Uh, plenty for Steve Bruce to try and sort out. From one team that can't score a goal to one team that scored four, Sheffield United thumping Swansea City 4-0 at Bramall Lane after they'd suffered back-to-back 0-0 draws as well, frustrated by Hull City in midweek and obviously that 0-0 draw in the uh, Yorkshire Derby at Huddersfield last weekend. Morgan Gibbs-White, the star man, but we've spoken about Morgan Gibbs-White so much that I want to I wanna pick out Ollie Norwood because he's been so key under Paul Heckingbottom and he was really poor last season in the Premier League, probably his poorest season of his career, or certainly for a while. He wasn't the only one, it's worth saying as well. But by his own admission, um, he wasn't great. He didn't have a good season. He struggled with mobility and, and finding that passing rhythm. At championship level, he's as good as there is in terms of technical ability, passing, vision, and the ball over the top for Morgan Gibbs-White was sensational. He's not the most mobile, admittedly, but so technically gifted and at championship level, you cannot afford to sit off him. We saw him in the recent win over Peterborough where he just dominated the ball and the game. And it's giving Sheffield United so much more control in their attacks that they're able to sustain possession, sustain attacks and suffocate teams. But they've also got pace to play on the counter where Norwood can pick the ball up on the half turn and spray a 45-yard diagonal for an on-rushing Jaden Bogle, who's obviously injured at the minute, or a Gibbs-White, as we saw with the opener or a Brewster, someone else who's injured, of course. But they've got these runners as well, and it's it's really paying off for them. He's been brilliant. As I say, Gibbs-White was the star man, ultimately. He was the headline grabber. Two lovely goals for him. Best goal of the day, best goal possibly of the season, we might see. George Baldock with a Decanio-esque little skip and volley into the top corner. The way it smacks off the bar and drops down makes it all the more impressive, looks all the better for it. Um, and Sheffield United were brilliant. Swans is simply outclassed, back-to-back wins and up to sixth. Yeah, they really are beginning to put some momentum together, aren't they? As you say, climbing into the playoffs, first time this season they've been in there. And everybody questioned the decision to move with Paul Heckingbottom, didn't they? Everybody looked at it and thought, what are they doing? This is a really big downgrade. But my word, what an impact he's had on that set of players. Gone back to basics, gone back to methods they were fairly familiar with from the Chris Wilder era. And it's worked an absolute treat and it just proves that Sheffield United, even though at the time it, it never seemed like it was going to be like that, they, they wasted a good three or four months with Slavisa Zhukanovic, which nobody would have predicted at the start at all. We all thought, what a terrific appointment. But when you look back now in hindsight, if they if he'd have left earlier on, Sheffield United could be knocking on the door even closer to the top two. So terrific form that they've put together now. And Obviously, they're getting things right in both boxes. They're proving incredibly hard to, to score past them. Four clean sheets in a row. I think it's now six clean sheets in the last seven games. They're really coming on strong and they are a force to watch, I'll tell you. I, I did not see this coming a matter of weeks ago. So, big credit to Paul Heckingbottom. Unless once since he got the job, 
that was at Derby. So it really proves how well he's doing. But like you say, at the weekend against Swansea, there was so much to so much to admire. Obviously, Norwood's back to his brilliant best. We know what a player he is at this level when he's on the top of his game. Morgan Gibbs White continues to grab the headlines. For me, one of the lone signings of the season in this in this division. I think it's twelve goal contributions now in twenty games. And when when really you compare Gibbs White to a lot of the other players like your Chris Willicks, like your Brendan Johnsons that we've looked at, and they're all brilliant in their own right. Gibbs White, in terms of minutes, has played a lot less football. He has, and his stats are they're not that much different. Yep, you know, twelve direct goal contributions now in twenty appearances. So it's not a bad return at all. It's really impressive. And it's only right that we mention a certain Mr. Billy Sharp back at it again, continuing to do what Billy Sharp does. No sign of slowing down whatsoever. I think it's like six in his last eight now. He's flying. He's the talisman again. And I mean, he might have just turned 36, but when you've got that that pedigree of what he's got, there is no stopping him. And again, poachers finish at the weekend. Lovely run, lovely finish. And Sheffield United at the minute, for me, are the, are the team to watch out for. There's always one that makes that that dart into the playoffs. And it's not quite a late running. Obviously, we're only in, in mid-February. But they, they've kind of come from nowhere very, very quickly and climbed that table at a rapid rate. And on paper, Wednesday evening's game of Blackburn Rovers looks like it could be a good one. Yeah, it really does. And Billy Sharp's reinvented himself a little bit. Because albeit, yeah, it's still the clinical finishing we've seen, particularly under Heckenbaum, but he was still Jukanovic's man. You know, he was who Jukanovic went for. He's got a lot, you know, if he's got six assists this season, which you wouldn't typically expect from Billy Sharp. So he's providing as well. More so that was under Jukanovic. Now he's more back to his usual last man, goal scoring, poaching. But he's shown a versatility to his game this season that I didn't necessarily think he had. And when you look at the options Sheffield United have got, if You'd have told me going into the the summer that they were going to rely on Billy Sharp again when you think they've even got McGoldrick, who played more in the Premier League. Brewster and McBurney were probably the two that you'd expect the most. And also, um, of course, uh, Lise Mousset, who's been an absolute... You know, he's been awful, really. And he's obviously out on loan now in Serie A. And Jevinson to, to potentially have an impact off the bench as well. So Sheffield United going great guns and up to sixth now for the first time this season, their highest spot of the campaign so far. Derby won Peterborough nil. Derby are now level on points with Peterborough after Louis Sibley's late goal. In truth, they dominated this match. Yes, obviously they're going to dominate the game when you get a, what, a 35th minute red card from Hayden Coulson. Two yellow cards just couldn't handle Ebersele, which is becoming a constant theme for throughout championship defences. I thought the red card on Tom Lawrence looked a little bit harsh on the angle we had. It wasn't a great angle, the only one that Quest had. No replay either, so... My initial first viewing was that looks harsh. wasn't a great viewing, so I'm not I'm not you know nailing my my mass to the uh, to the wind by saying that because there might be an angle where it's a horror tackle and I've just not quite got the right angle of it. But I thought it was a little bit harsh. But Derby were the best team. They outclassed Peterborough. They're a better team than Peterborough. And I also thought that Bender should have probably done better for Louis Sibley's goal. It's weird. It, it doesn't quite look right how it's gone in from where it is for a left footed strike. I think Bender probably should have done better. And it does, it's increasingly, I know you said this earlier in the pod, but it's increasingly looking like we're going to have a shootout between Derby and Reading. Peterborough just don't deserve to stay up. They've taken one point from two crucial games this week. They can't score. They certainly can't defend. Derby are a much better team. Reading are a better team as well, or certainly have got better individuals. So I think we're looking at Derby or Reading, unless they can. those two can pick up enough points and drag Hull back into it or Cardiff back into it. 
I think we're looking at those two because I don't think Peterborough are good enough to stay up. They don't deserve to stay up. But this is I want to be more about Derby because we went big on Peterborough last week. Derby really good, controlled the game, got the three points. Yeah, and it was one that I never expected any difference. I had it as close as my uh, my banker for the weekend's games. I fully expected Derby to win that and they got the job done, albeit very, very late on. But that could be the goal that really, really fires them up now. Not that they need any more firing up with how motivated they've been all season. But if you get my meaning, that could be the goal that really sparks something to go on a run and, and claw Reading in. Obviously, Reading's win at the week, um, on Saturday won't have really helped Derby very much because it's probably one they will have looked at and thought, we're going to win this one. They'll lose at Preston. We're right back in it. So that's not really helped, but there's still a long way to go. It's only a five-point gap. There'll be more twists and turns to come. But I think Derby have just got that belief, that energy and that continuity to really, really give it the best shot they've got. And when you think about it, obviously, they've had a points deduction. But in terms of a side that is in the relegation places, let's just think about this. It's bonkers. They've lost the same amount of games this season as Middlesbrough, as Nottingham Forest. They've only lost one more than QPR over fourth. It's balmy, isn't it, when you think about it? So they do deserve to stay up. They really do. And I still think they'll do it. I really do. I think they are a better side than Reading in terms of what they've got as unity. But obviously, Reading's change could change the whole thing completely. I, I think it depends so, on the appointment who Reading go for. I think it is. If a you'd asked me before the weekend, out. if you'd asked me for the weekend, yeah. I'd have said Derby will stay up. Now, I do think Reading have got a better team than Derby in terms of they individuals. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to watch. But I think I'm just spurring Derby on because I so want them to do it after all what they've been through and it, what an achievement it would be for Wayne Rooney and the players. But even if they even if they do go down, and they go down with the fight that they've produced, the fans aren't going to aren't going to hate them for it because they appreciate how hard they've worked and how much Wayne Rooney has done. And like I say, when you look at the teams down there, <laughs> from 14th downwards, nobody's lost less games than Derby this season, and they're in the bottom three. It's just crazy. So huge credit to the players. They're not giving up. They're keeping on going. And at the end of the day, if they just keep doing what they're doing and Reading slip up. It's it's going to happen. So, for me, straight shoot out. Them two battling out for the final place to avoid the drop. Promises to be an interesting ride over the next few weeks. Yeah, it certainly does. And Wayne Rooney keeps chucking youngsters in into the firey line as well. Young Aaron Cashin came in for his debut at centre-half alongside Curtis Davis. Keeps a clean sheet. That's been the story of them all season. You know, you look at that team. Ebersele, Plange, uh, Cashin, as I've just said. Uh, Max Bird, of course, is, we we see Max Bird as an established member of this team. He's only a youngster still. He's only, what, 20, 21? Seems Be, to be have, around forever. Yeah, Jason Knight, the same. So it's it's such a young team and they're doing so, so well. Sibley, of course, off the bench, only a youngster himself. Finally, Coventry City won, Barnsley nil. Um, Coventry had plenty of the ball, plenty of territory, as you'd expect. That They didn't create that many clear-cut chances, but then, very typical of Barnsley, lack of concentration at the end. You know, just a rushed hack at the ball from substitute Jasper Moon. And it's expertly finished by Dominic Hyam, you have to say. And I don't think anyone really saw that uh, finish coming. And it secures two wins in three for Coventry after beating Reading. Lost in midweek to Cardiff, kind of uncharacteristically in the way they went down there. But the Robins have now scored goals worth 11 points in stoppage time. There's there's no better, a better love story than Twilight, as we would, would have said five years ago. Like I put on the Twitter account on Saturday afternoon, is there a better double act than injury time in Coventry City this season in the Championship? They just absolutely I don't think love it, don't they? So. 
they love it, don't they? But no, they, they fought right to the very end. And I think on the face of it, if they'd not have beaten Barnes, it would have been it would have been frowned upon as a, as a poor result, considering the, the difference between the two clubs this season. So a big win for Coventry, what they needed, just to, just to get their mojo back after a bit of a blip in midweek. But overall, Coventry's performances in the last few weeks have been have been very good. They really have. A, the Middlesbrough one stands out in particular of a game that they, they lost and, and played really, really well. I didn't see the Cardiff game midweek, but I heard they, they just had a bit of a bit of an off day like teams have in this league. So no real worries for Mark Robbins. Bristol City away next. Not the easiest of ones with the way they're going at Ashton Gate, but they've got reason to, reasons to be confident. And what's to say? If the fourth official puts up four or five minutes of injury time, I'm sure they'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Free, free draws. Three draws in the championship to quickly run you through. Stoke 2, Birmingham 2. Stoke, very poor at the minute in terms of defensively. We've not really spoke about Stoke recently because they keep drawing games, so they don't quite make the cut. But Taylor Harwood-Bellis, with one to forget as he sort of just hacked at a clearance and, and that allowed uh, Gardner to grab an equaliser for Birmingham after he had taken an early lead, which was, again, not great defending from uh, from Birmingham. Jordan James getting his first goal as a boyhood blue nose coming through the academy. Bit of uh, Tyrese Campbell magic for the one. Very fortunate equaliser, it must be said. But the second was very typical Tyrese Campbell, cutting in on that left foot, uh, using his pace and athleticism to get in behind. And it's a, an unearing finish into the bottom corner. QPR won, Hull City won. Uh, Marcus Force's goal cancelled out by Ilias Chairs, eight for the season. Big point this for QPR because they were staring a, a third defeat in seven days in the face until the late equaliser. Um, also a bit controversial in Albert Adoma goal was ruled out for a dubious offside again with the angles we've seen I can't definitively say if it's offside or not so give the referee or the linesman should I say the benefit of the doubt uh, and best wishes to, to Matt Ingram who of course was uh, had plenty of treatment 15 minutes worth of treatment in the second half after he fell awkwardly after colliding with Adoma of course back at his former club he got a great reception as he was clapped off the pitch he's back he's up and talking as we understand it um, fingers crossed he's not out of the, of the team for too long. And then finally, Cardiff won, Blackpool won. Decent week for both sides after the results last weekend and a win in midweek for Cardiff. Thought Blackpool were the better team in the first half. Cardiff probably shaded the second. That said, um, I thought Blackpool should have had a stonewall penalty on for a foul on Josh Bowler, who was booked for diving in the second half. But I think it was a penalty. I think he gets clipped. He, he, the way he isolates, I think people forget that when you are running at such pace and dribbling with the ball, it doesn't have to be a big touch and you will get sent sprawling. And I think it was a penalty. And to book him for diving was very harsh, I thought. So um, Blackpool probably will feel a little bit aggrieved with the with the referee on that one. Uh, that rounds off this weekend's championship action. Another blockbuster weekend that I've absolutely loved breaking down. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. To finish off this week's pod, we're going to do our shocks and bankers now. There is a full slate of championship action in midweek, but as always, we're going to look ahead to the weekend action. George, what have you got for me? Well, for a shock this weekend, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the fairy tale story. I'm gonna go with Derby to win at Luton. I know Luton are doing very very well at the moment, particularly at home. But I just mean with the belief Derby have got, I'm gonna go for it. It's worth a crack. So Derby is a shock at Luton. For a banker this weekend, quite a few to possibly choose from, but I'm going to settle on another away win. I'm going to go for Middlesbrough to win at Barnsley. Well, I can tell you now that we're not both going to get all our shots and bankers right because my banker is Luton to beat but Derby. <laughs> Although Derby have been really good at home and with wax lyrical, the away form's not great. It's the away form that will stop them staying up, really. Their, their away form is of 
just just above a relegation team, if you look at the form table this season. Luton, really good, particularly at home. So I think this is one where maybe the emotion of Saturday as well comes into it a little bit, a little bit leggy perhaps. And I think Luton will beat Derby at Kenilworth Road, despite you know my, my admiration for what Derby are doing. I found it really difficult to p- pick a shock. Really difficult. I've gone for Cardiff to beat Fulham, but I don't really believe in it, if I'm honest. I didn't really fancy any of them. I think it's very hard as well with shocks to form an opinion when you've got the weekend fixtures. But I've gone for Cardiff to beat Fulham. As we know, I'm quite big on Cardiff at the minute. I think they're much improved under um, under Steve Morrison. And I think Fulham are susceptible to... It depends how they react. I mean, they've got Peterborough at home in Rudui. That's the, you know, the biggest home bank you're ever going to see in the history of the championship. That'll get clipped if... if Peterborough somehow win at Craven Cottage in midweek. But I feel Cardiff were the most likely of the shocks that were available to me. So Luton to beat Derby and Cardiff to beat Fulham as my shock. And that marks the end of this week's Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please make sure to subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast does help go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy these weekly Monday breakdowns, please do drop us a retweet as soon as the episodes go live to help share across as to meet, reach as many people as we possibly can. And you can support this podcast with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. The link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Have a great week and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast.